Hello and welcome to another episode of the Midi Remix podcast where we speak to all sorts of people who work within the sound and music. On the show this time we have Angela Shake who is a loop artist who's based in uh, LA in the States. Uh, she's a loop artist who loves using all kinds of instruments, all weird and wonderful instruments like synths and acoustic instruments. Um, Angela won a national US competition run by Boss for loop pedal artists. Um, she's had her music played on TV shows, she's had her music placed on advertising and released a number of albums too. Uh, I do all this stuff by myself. Uh, your support is greatly appreciated uh, from the podcast, whether it's comments or likes or shares. You can also donate via Ko-fi or PayPal if you'd like to support the running of it. It takes a lot of time to do this and uh, your support is greatly appreciated. But enough of that, let's get on with the show. And the first thing I asked Angela was about her musical beginnings. Yeah, um, well, I grew up going to public school and started in the band program and the chorus program there. That was that was probably my first start to being engaged in music. I grew up uh, in the church, so there was a lot of hymns. My dad loved musicals, so I had kind of a very, I would say, limited musical beginning and kind of had to discover what interested me on my uh, on my journey and i'm kind of a late bloomer that way but also so enthusiastic when i actually find the music that gets me excited so yeah i started playing flute when i was in fifth grade and i still play that today and uh, eventually went and studied music education for flute and piano and taught middle and high school band and orchestra for eight years and um, began constantly riding kids or like, uh, you know, like yelling at kids for not practicing and realizing I was never practicing. Um, and then kind of did some soul searching there and realized the only thing I was really drawn to practice anymore was my own material, writing, creating my own material and kind of jumped off from there to performing for other people. Nice. And what were the, so you said you started off on a quite a religious uh, tip, like it, musically. Was there a time yeah. when you sort of discovered like uh, other music that was possibly like slightly inappropriate and oh uh, yeah anti sort of Christian? Uh, well, I'm guessing it's Christian. What um, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, just expanding, expanding to what was even available. Um, but I think the first, the first record that somebody gave me that um, I got excited about was in high school, and that was Fumbling Toward Ecstasy by Sarah McLaughlin. So this was in the 90s. And that was just the first, the first album that I heard somebody being expressive and just writing about life, you know, and um, maybe just the first musical risks I heard was that album. And uh, later on, I, I went to a couple parties where I heard Sneaker Pimps and Chemical Brothers and Portishead, Massive Attack, and that is really what where, where I was like, where have you been all my life? Kind of a, a moment. <laughs> and I love I love uh, trip hop and um, that kind of music to this day. So, absolutely, yeah, yeah me too. Uh, I mean, I think uh, yeah, Britain 
Yeah, we still love our trip hop and our break beats, even though they're not like in the charts or anything like that. There's just something magic about those yeah. massive attack and Portis head yes. and radio head. All the heads are big. All fans. the heads, yeah, yeah exactly. Talking <laughs> <laughs> heads, they're all good. That's cool, and it's interesting that you were sort of doing stuff with bands uh, or, or uh, with orchestras, and maybe uh, yeah, maybe feeling that other people weren't pulling their weight and then wanting to go on your own direction. Yeah, I feel like my hypocrisy, I think, was the jumping off point <laughs> for my musical career, yeah. Yeah, so I have a lot of classical training, you know, so I, I would throw Beethoven and uh, Mozart in there, you know, uh, Ravel and some of the, uh, Mussorgsky is a big influence on me. But yeah, absolutely, pop music was uh, kind of the trip hop sound was where I first fell in love. Mm, nice. And what what drew you to it? What drew you to that trip pop sound? What was it in there that got you? I mean, other than Beth Gibbons' voice, I think it, it was the way that they would treat this often ethereal, often female uh, vocal, kind of a floating vocal. Okay, it could be male as well, but um, with this gritty, beat-driven, chill sound underneath it. I think the, the paradox between those two things just hits me in a really delicious way. I just, I just love that. I love that combination. I'm always yeah. after that. I'm always after that. Um, ethereal and cinematic, but gritty and dark. Definitely. All of those things. Yeah. It's a really mm. good way of describing it. Um, I know even, I mean, yeah, it just crossed quite a few boundaries, didn't it? Between hip hop, breakbeats, uh, being sort of political activism as well, you know, yeah. uh, being anti-establishment, um, Yes, you've maybe got a couple of trip hop tracks that are in the the charts, but um, yeah, the really driving, dirty, dark stuff was uh, yeah. yeah for for all the people. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and were you drawn? Was there any particular instrument that you felt like you were really drawn to and you were connected to? I mean, I my favorite instrument um, that I just can't get the right person to play is bass clarinet. <laughs> That's the band teacher in me, but man, I, I love some bass clarinet with some stink on it, as we say. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I love the <laughs> bass working with the drums. Um, yeah, deep sounding instruments, like a a very um, crunchy, angry Moog kind of a sound. I love synth bass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. When you say it's got a stink on it, what what can you translate that for? Uh, well, it, uh, <laughs> coming, yes, I got a stink on it. It's a little funky. It's imperfect. It's human sounding. Um, it's got attitude and some swagger to it. Um, it's not falling directly on the beat like my classical training would have me to be like right in the center of each beat. Yeah, it's a little head or a little behind. It's got some squeaks and cracks in there. <laughs> I love all of that. Excellent. That's a great description. <laughs> That's stink, Thank you. Stank. Okay, some stank on it. I'll, I'll use that one in future. I'll, <laughs> I'll drop that one in and uh, pretend I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I see that you've, um, you, you, yeah, you've got some really nice equipment sort of scattered around your your pages and um, in in much of your videos. I saw a micro corg, micro corg on your website. Yes, of course. She's over there. She's just out of view, but my my micro corg is right here. Yeah, one of my one of my first synths. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was after the vocoder at first. And I love the analog feel of, of the original microcorg, which is has a whole bunch of buttons rather than the LED screen that you have to scroll through through. Um, that just 
I, I like mechanical responses. That's why I keep, I'm drawn to the loop pedal versus performing live with Ableton. I just like the stomp and the, the physical action that the whole crowd gets to see. So yeah, I love kind of a, an analog crossover to a digital synth. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it's so right about things that are a bit of tactile, things that you can actually touch and feel moving. Yes. There is something so nice about finding a sweet spot on a synth mm -hmm. or something and just like going, oh my God, don't touch it. That's where it's <laughs> going it to stay for a minute. Take a picture. Take a picture. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not going to, there's no way to save it. Yeah, the I, I've I've even heard somebody play like a really ambient set with a micro Korg. Like for me sure. personally, I always knew the micro Korg as being like you know drum and bass, breakbeat bass lines and yeah. leads, and just disgusting like <laughs> pop out <laughs> the speakers kind of sounds. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I heard someone, I saw someone here, and he was playing piano in a micro Korg, and he had a couple yeah. of pedal like a reverb pedal or something like that. And I was thinking, there's no way he's going to be able to combine a micro Korg and a piano. I'm sorry. I was just like, that's this is going to be a really weird mix. But yes. he ended up having this um, most probably one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen, where it was an ambient set with a micro Korg. Yeah. So he programmed in all these. Really I believe it. I haven't seen it much, and... but I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, you can do it. You have to like dive in, don't you? Because there's like so many options. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah, said you, you couldn't save. You you can you can um, change and save the the sounds on there. So um, I, yeah, I believe you could you could have a nice. It's quite versatile. It is kind of a punchy little guy, but um, yeah, that that's interesting. I've seen people use it all sorts of ways. Mm. And yeah, the vocoder definitely drew people in uh, for sure. I think yeah. Uh, yeah, how did you how did you get on with your first experiments vocoding and You know, I had a hard time because the signal um would drop so much. So I ended up just kind of um having to compress it and pump it up on on the um in the DAW, which I didn't love. Um but I, I liked the creativity of it. I'm I'm always trying to play with other sounds and other instruments because it affects my songwriting. And I liked the songwriting that came out of that little vocoder yeah yeah definitely Def i really love them there's a guy there's an ele electro uh, producer oh my god i've forgotten his name now he uses a vocoder um on a lot of his electro tracks and he's cool. all, all he's saying is like the machines are taking over you know just like simple <laughs> little phrases right I on mean, the nose with I mean, it yeah okay. I mean, that's <laughs> like I, what i've done there is basically just done a um flight of the concourse lyric haven't i but I like yeah he, he's doing like general you know he's just doing like corporation you know like like sort of futuristic <laughs> electro awesome. but he's yeah. really 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 amazing and um it's sort of got me back into thinking i quite yeah i love the sound of that like no one uses vocoders anymore and they they sound yeah, great it's so unearthly I, I really i really love it it's such a creative tool and it just takes me to a different place yeah a little robotic place <laughs> where my little robotic heart can write a song i don't know yeah exactly yeah it's almost like um it's almost a bit like using a puppet when you're like talking uh i don't know i hadn't like thought of that, that way you're expressing yourself through this other character this like yes yeah thing. i had never thought of it that way but but yeah yeah it's another yeah. character you really have to enunciate don't you and you use and really have to like enunciate and um support it takes a lot of breath you know mm -hmm. have you ever done the talk box with the tube in your mouth no um i i know what you mean but i i've never tried that Honestly, I totally recommend trying it. There's a yeah? thing called a Rocktron Banshee, which cool. is the the uh, original tube 
yeah, the Banshee. There's also the Banshee 2. Yeah, it is really different from the vocoder because you're just basically firing down the sound of a guitar or a synth and it's your yeah. vocal, your your mouth, your vocal cavity that's shaping the whole sound. So a vocoder is like bringing together two things outside of your body and yeah. the talk box is like putting the sound in your mouth. <laughs> So you can be like really um, expressive with it. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The classic. I think of one. it as like the bagpipe of vocoders, but <laughs> there's no actual squeezing involved. You could probably <laughs> I guess a bagpipe lungs. if you were like desperate. Um, yeah, the only thing is you have this like giant tube in your mouth, and you'd like end up dribbling all yes. over it. But you just have to accept that that's going to happen. And um, yeah, there's a there's a Persian instrument called the ney that I don't play for that exact reason. It's got a lovely sound, but um, you do end up just um, just a, being a fountain of saliva. Yes. For whoever's in the front row, it's quite a show. So, I... <laughs> yeah, quite a show. <laughs> I don't know. I might skip that one now that you mentioned that. Uh, yeah. Where did you start like making your own music, and when did you start doing that? Yeah. Um, so I started with another woman, and we had a duo for a little while, which I think was really great for me, not being familiar with venues and um, you know just being like traveling to unfamiliar cities and unfamiliar bars and being they're super late with a lot of equipment. It was a nice intro to do that with another person. Um, mm -hmm. And I really fell in love with it and um, just kind of took off from there. Yeah, so I think my learning curve was I started out wanting to play every venue in every city, you know, just wanted to play all the, the places people wanted to get in kind of at, at my caliber and then have uh, eventually pulled that way back to just looking for my room, which is usually a maybe 80 to 100 person room where we can see each other and um, they can see what I'm doing with all, all the, you know, footwork that I've spent ages on and uh, we can have an intimate kind of experience. Yeah, so I've just kind of like uh, looked, like the one we were talking about in um, in Brighton. That is a perfect example. Uh, the Brunswick. Brunswick, yes, it was just a lovely, room where people came specifically to see music and they could leave to a separate room to chat if they wanted to and um it was just low lights and good sound and we had a really great time there amazing yeah. when were you when did you play at the brunswick i was touring with a, a woman from bristol susie condrad who I, we met at the world looping championship because she was the uk rep and i was the american rep whoa and she's like dream team. Um, She's amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want a whole hour of looping, it's a dream team. Like, I, I usually would not perform with another looping artist, but we were different enough, and she's also very song-driven rather than loop-driven, um, and that's that's kind of our goal, and, and uh, we just got along really well. We decided to tour together, and that was probably 2000, I think 15, maybe 16. Oh, not long ago then. Wow. Not, not that long ago, yeah too long ago because I, I, I wish I could just turn right around and come back. That's great. I think, um, I think it's really important for anyone playing live to sort of establish where they, the, the types of places they want to be in. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, uh, yeah, you can definitely have a, a, a place that's too big and a place that's too small. But yeah, I think finding 
your yeah. vibe is really important and you spoke or just what they they expect when they're coming there what are they what are they expecting my kind of music like are we gonna in, are we both gonna enjoy the show i don't know it's, it just took me a couple touring rounds to realize oh not every music room works for me if i go to the like punk room it's a great room i would go to a show there but it's not great for me to perform there i don't fit you know mm-hmm. yeah i think I it's good to recognize those things what yeah. would you do then? Let's say you're slow. turning up. Let's say you're turning up to a gig and it, and you've just opened the door and it's like, oh, this is a punk place. Yeah. Is there any approach that you do different? Do you do any different? Oh man, I would still play. I'd leave it all on the floor, absolutely. And and you do find your people within the crowd. But I think we're all like, okay, um, next time they'll recommend the place that I should play. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, I know the yeah. place. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, you're gonna want to try the. <laughs> That's cool because I, I think you spoke about like the feedback loop of the audience of like playing live and sort of them getting a buzz from what you're doing and then you getting a buzz from what they're doing. Oh yeah, that's my drug of choice. Absolutely, I miss that so much right now. Yeah, I actually yeah I've just been editing an interview from a few weeks ago and they were saying that one of the two these duos they were saying like I need I need yeah. that energy from the audience. It was literally like cards on the table i need that to happen mm-hmm. like i don't know what i'm doing if i'm not playing live and it's a very yes. brutal very brutal honest um appraisal really yeah how is how have how have you approached it how has it been for you i 100 percent agree i i um did a few live stream concerts just upon request because i didn't think it would feel right and it really did not but also i i see that was me giving something to other people that wasn't about me getting gratified. I didn't get my uh, energy that I'm so, you know, get such a fix off of. I didn't get any feedback and just had to trust that somebody was getting something out of it and read the comments later, you know? So for me, it was very dry, felt pretty clinical. I was worried about the tech, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like 14 things trying to run at once on all my already overloaded equipment. But I think, especially you know, this July of last year, people needed it. So get over it. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best we have right now. This is the best we have. It's not my favorite at all. But yeah, I do miss, I do miss a live audience. You know what I really miss? I was just thinking about this the other day. I really miss a noisy room because a lot of the time I I would be an opening act for a much bigger artist and um, a room of people that didn't come to see me. So I know my job. I know I'm not like uh, I'm not who they're here here to see. But to me, that's the challenge. Yeah, I think Can that's I a, a nice opportunity. Oh, it's amazing, and I, I got really good at it. That you, you're not going to shout these people down. You have to do something interesting, compelling, and kind of delightful, you know, and pretty authentic <laughs> to to have them stop talking with their friends and look up at the stranger, you know, before they're. The person they really came to see before the rock star comes out. Yeah, and man, I love that challenge. I love that. Yeah, because it's almost like the under. It's like the moment of the underdog, isn't it? Being the support. Act. Totally. I just yeah. remembered this. Yeah, I lived one in Philly time. a long time. <laughs> I love being the underdog. <laughs> you do it. live in Philadelphia. I, I lived there for a long time, Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware, for 15 years. Wow. And in and out, but yeah. Oh, and you're in LA now, you said. And now we're in LA. Mm-hmm. Wow, amazing. Um, you know the band Ben Folds Five? 
So like when I was yeah. a kid growing up, that was like my favorite band in the world. Like Ben yeah. Folds was like the best thing ever, and he's still amazing. But anyway, I went to see them in Manchester, playing Manchester in the UK, and oh, they were cool. supported by a very good band called Geneva, who were like an indie mm-hmm. band. And um, even though Geneva were amazing, they got silent. They silenced like two thousand people. Yeah, so it was so. I've never experienced such awkwardness at a gig. Their whole set because we everyone had gone to see Ben Folds Five, who is like right. this is this is a piano and bass and drums and like that's what everyone's come to see. And then there was this yeah. like indie rock band who were like you know a full full normal indie rock band, and everyone right. was just like silent in between all their songs. It was so awkward, but their songs were actually good. You could sort of you could feel they were good. Like I wanted to clap, but because there was so many people not clapping. I think I think Why would people clap? That is a little weird. It was really odd. I don't, don't know. Everyone was so hand. up for Ben Folds Five that they actually yeah. just didn't give a shit about whoever else was playing. And I think yeah. actually at one point he called the whole audience a bunch of motherfuckers. That's right. Yeah. He deserved it. And I Yeah, I did, really. <laughs> too bloody big too big a fan of Ben Your Folds. hands together if you like it. Yeah, but I mean, just talking about like the underdog, I mean, that that is the one thing that comes to mind that was like, yeah, that that was an example of it really being a challenge that is a, for a that, band. That's a perfect example. Yeah, but they still smashed it. They were still really good. Um, yeah. I apologize how hardly now I like, didn't clap 15 no. years ago at a gig. <laughs> Give you another chance. I'm going to look yeah. them up. You said Geneva? Geneva, yeah. They, got, they have a song yeah. called No One Speaks and um, it's a really beautiful hmm. pop song, uh, indie. You should have them on here. I'm just going to tell you how to run your podcast. Oh you should my have God. them on here and, and apologize. That would be so funny. <laughs> and then just clap. <laughs> just clap for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I really feel bad about that still. Um, <laughs> so you, um, yeah, you said you, you work hard to make each act like spellbinding. Sort of, we touched really on it a little try. bit there. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you, what sort of things do you do? Um... I work really hard on my songwriting. I think that's key. I try to play instruments that nobody else plays um, on purpose. Like um, I'll bring out a theremin. I'll bring out toys. I don't play guitar. I do play some some keys and piano, and I just I switch it up a lot. I think um, okay if I've used a flute on this song, then I'm going to change it up for the next song, and I just try to keep it fresh so that your ear is constantly hearing something new and hearing something like what is that kind of a sound? I'm always after that, that kind of a sound. I like silence within songs. I feel like that brings people back, you know, Um, especially with looping when you're just layering, 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 layering. Um, Yeah. The dynamics are quite hard to put into loop based stuff, aren't they? When you're, yes, you're just adding layers. Once it's in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have two choices, take it out or put something else else in. Yeah, there was a quote that someone said to me um, a few episodes ago, which was like a creative um, creative quote by somebody, and it says, um, something's not finished when you can't add anything more to it. It's finished when you can't take anything more away. Yeah, that's great. And uh, that's I thought that's such a great philosophy for like making music and just, uh, you know, anything really. Yeah, that's what takes me so long with um with production and songwriting is I start by chucking everything at the wall. And then really the time that it takes is muting, 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 muting until exactly, exactly that. Hopefully it just, it's on, it's the only legs that it needs. Everything's critical. 
Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a really that's great, it's so easy nowadays with infinite everything that we can just <laughs> add more and more and more. It's like giving things away, isn't it? Giving things away that you've got that you don't need. Like it feels great to just let it go and let someone else have it. Um, yeah. You're not burdened with it anymore. So I agree with you. Yeah, I like that philosophy. <laughs> so yeah, you talked about weird instruments. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the theremin. I really liked what you were doing. You were sort of using the theremin as a, a cutoff. A cutoff. Yeah, controller. Uh, mm -hmm. Controller. Yeah, that was really interesting because mm -hmm. you sort of see a theremin and go, here comes the... The 1960s sci-fi sound. And then, exactly, yeah, right. Really cool, a really cool idea. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, um, you know, I had to talk to some older older people to figure out how to do that. It was a, an older technology that kind of got trumped by MIDI. So yeah, um, awesome. I, loved, I just loved the, I guess, the drama of it, you know, because I could have just turned the knob. It would have done the exact same thing. On the, it's a Mogerfoger that I used, but... It's not, it's not as fun. <laughs> yeah, because in the video, you can see the Moga, uh, the, the Moga, do you call it Moga Foga? I don't know how to say it. So you go with how you want to say it. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> it's such a, the, this is the decisive, this is the like the, the, the divisive one, because people are like, well, if it is Moog, then it should be Foog. And if it's Moog, it should be Fog. Right. <laughs> well, I think of it, it's Bob Moog. It is, it is. And, that, and that's yeah. what... That's so now it's a Foger, I guess. Foger. I don't know. I'm gonna call it. I have the <laughs> I have the low pass Moga Foger, so that's what oh, I'm gonna nice. call it from now on. Yeah. How uh, do you use that? Oh, just a lot of distortion, and I think I think I really like the envelope following the sort of pew, pew, yeah pew thing yeah. of it. Um, cool. Although, yeah, I do a lot in the box now, so it's it's mm -hmm. like yeah, slightly redundant. It happens. <laughs> but I really like that you have like such a massive range of instruments, and you like to sort of delight your audiences with, you know, new things. I think that's really interesting and it's probably very yeah, fresh for them as well to be there and see the the auto harp, for example, sounds beautiful. <laughs> Thank really you. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, that's my goal. I think that's the goal is just to keep it interesting for myself um, and for the people that show up, mm. sure. Cool. So when did you, when did the looping, when did you start looping? Sorry, that's a really generic question, but did, how did that happen? No, how did right. that come about? It came about well, when I was with, when I was in that duo, I mentioned, we used a very, it was just very on the side. It was just a beat or something that we would, we would throw down. So I just got familiar with it. I think the jam man was the first one that I had. And then um, I was, I think they needed a woman for this electronic music festival somewhere between Philadelphia and Delaware. And <clears throat> I was using that jam man and had a conversation with the, um, one of the other performers afterwards. <laughs> um, and he said, Oh, you, you need to try this boss RC 50 is what they had out at the time. And he said, I think you, I think you really just watching what you did with that. I, I think you could really dive into that. And so I, I took him up on it and um, found one. And it just immediately became a songwriting tool. And it became immediately my center instrument. Like that is my main instrument, I, I tend to think. Um, and I would try to get, I, I tried for a while to perform with percussion and bass with it. Um, but they always fought that loop pedal. And to me, the, the loop pedal kind of won. Because <laughs> it always wanted to tour with me. It always wanted to practice one more time. Um, so I just more and more, and you know what else? Very reliable, always turned up. 
it was so reliable. It was always ready to go. It was just happy to happy to play. Um, <laughs> and I could be a little obsessive with just trying to trying to get it right. So, and the other thing was, I got such a response that you know what? There was a gig, my first gig back in Philly. I had something. The drummer was like, "I don't want to. I can't play in five. I don't want to play in that." I, was, I think I was covering Radiohead's um, 15 step, which is in five five eight time or five four time. Um, so the drummer complained about that, and he didn't want to play. So I did it myself um, with a loop pedal, and that song got the best response of the night. Like people came up, were coming up afterwards. I never had that that response before. Like, oh my man, what was that? How did you do that? Um, and you know, I mean, I I love attention, so I was like, oh, I need to do that more. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, started leaning more and more on that loop pedal, and just found when it was just uh, stripped down, when it was me and my a uh, voice and maybe a flute and a shaker, <laughs> or or something, um, and that loop pedal, there was a vulnerability that people seemed to respond to. There was a, a uniqueness that, especially when I was getting started, like 2008, nine, wasn't common. You didn't see it very much at all. People didn't know what it was. Um, and I just loved that. I felt like I just stumbled on something really special and tried to push it as far as it would go. <laughs> do whatever <laughs> I could amazing. do with that thing. And did you, because yeah. you said you had the Jam Master, had you seen somebody with the Jam Master to get it yourself? Where? How did that How did that sort of enter your consciousness? I think it was, you know, but I don't think she had the Jam, I think it was a Jam Man is what they called it back then. Jam Man, but, sorry, um, yeah. Um, I think it was KT Tunstall. Um, I saw it in a video and I think she was using the RC30, not even the same pedal, but I just looked up what I could afford at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was that jam in, um, very similar build at the time. Yeah. Fantastic. And what are and then the I, cool... Imogen Heap also, I saw her performing some, some loop based material and was just blown away. Yeah. She does looping with the old, uh, the old gloves, doesn't she? The Mimu now, now she has those gloves, that Mimu. But back then, I, I, you know, it might have been a doll right from the beginning. Yeah, I, I, I think I've. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that I have seen a pre gloves. The gloves are off. Imogen Heap. The gloves are off. <laughs> the gloves are off. Um, yeah, have to find out. I wonder what she did use beforehand. Um, yeah. Have you ever had a go with the Mimu gloves? Just out of interest, have you ever? Um, I haven't yet. I um, it's kind of on a long list of technology that I would I would love to explore. Um, I I have stepped back from the show being about technology because I feel like I I pushed those boundaries and lost interest if it got just about the tech. You know, mm-hmm. I'm more of a uh, like I think my, some of my brother. I don't want to start any fights here, but my brother um, talks about St- Star Wars versus Star Trek, and Star Trek is more about the tech. And about like the types of aliens or whatever. And Star Wars is more about the story. Mm. Um, also has those elements, but it's more about the story. Um, and so I'm more of a Star Wars person <laughs> when it comes to tech in my sets. It's it's trying to get to the the spirit, the the soul of it, the emotion of it, the connectivity. And the tech is fun, but it's got to serve that purpose for me. Definitely, it definitely does have to do that. I would still um, try those gloves. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I don't know if what they do in the US, but I know in the UK you can you can have them for like a month if you if you agree to be part oh, of like kidding. a research project. Yeah, so I'll you have right to over. go to Bristol. You have to go to Bristol collect them because I did it. I wanted to do it, but it it all went wrong for a number of reasons. And I'm not like I'm not Mister like limelight on stage. I'm like very shy. So 
Yeah. I was going to have to do a performance with these gloves and it, I'm really glad that it didn't happen. However, yeah, I think they'll give you the gloves for like two months maybe and then you just have to answer some questions about the process. That's what it was like a few years ago now. I had um, no idea. I'll definitely look into that. That's super cool. I would love yeah. to try them. Yeah, they are amazing. How did you, how did you sort of, um, how do you go about like finding your sound? And have you found your sound? Do you know? <laughs> Would you ever find um, it? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's that's a good question. I I feel like part of part of the uh, proverbial brick wall that I've hit my head against my whole career is I have sounds plural. I have kind of a dual or multiple sound personality, um, but I think there's there's commonality between them. But really, if it's if it's influenced by trip hop, like we talked about before. Um, I get very excited. That's that's really in the right vein for me. I think you're really it's you're really right about having that sort of excitement of someone uh, when they are performing with a loop pedal and having that sort of just like the knife edge that you perform on with a loop pedal sometimes the unknown um, yeah like maybe someone shouts to their friend at the bar and then it and then yeah. it gets on the tape have you had sort of that sort of stuff happen? every night every <laughs> night it's so good for me because I can be a little bit. Uh, rigid with what I want to happen, you know, when I'm when I'm performing, there's a, you know, a lot of practice and control that I work to have over that thing. And then the beauty of it is, yeah, some waitress drops a plate on a really random upbeat, you know, and it sounds kind of cool. And I have to embrace, okay, this is this song tonight. This is this version tonight. And we only get it. We only get this version tonight. That plate's never going to drop on that same spot. But I might put something on that beat because it sounds really, really cool. Yeah. You know. You so yeah, every, every time it's a little different. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love I love that stuff. And um, I I mentioned to you uh, in emails about Bunty, who's someone I I interviewed previously, a uh, very long time ago, who lives in Brighton and. I still yeah. say it's the best live act I've ever seen in my life. And it's and I now sort of know her. She's like a good friend of mine. Oh, but cool. Back when I used to watch her, when we could perform, yeah, just it was the best live music I've ever seen. A hundred percent. Oh, I've got to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite tribal, quite sexual in a way. It was quite sure. loaded with with like a vigour and passion. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and just like really, yeah, tribal and... I think she has Moroccan roots, but she grew up in London in Notting Hill, so she's got lots of colour. She's very colourful yeah. and wild. So, Sounds yeah, amazing. She is really, 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 really good. Um, yeah, so let's go on to your... Yeah, so you mentioned touring with Susie Conrad um, yeah. because you were the, the US champion. Yeah, so you won the 2011 Grand Prize for the Boss Loop Station? Right, Award, for the US. Right? For the US? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean... Had you entered that competition before? Never. What? No. Um, a friend saw me perform and he said, you know, I think Boss is doing a competition. I see you're using one of their pedals. Um, you should check it out. And that was the first I'd heard of it. I looked online and they said, oh, you need um, three videos or, or, you know, you need a video or two of yourself creating a uh, original piece using the 
Boss RC50 at the time. Now I have the Boss RC300. That's why I keep saying at the time they upgraded that pedal. Yeah. Um, and I had like 10 of those already because when, when I first started, it was so hard. Like I looked like I was having an aneurysm or constipation, like something was happening <laughs> to my face because I would just, it was, took so much brain power. So I'd make these videos to try to loosen up and be more engaging and just let go of all the step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine um, happening in my head. And I had all those videos ready to go. I just hit send. I was like, uh, pick three, boop, 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 send it off. And um, it was just kind of a perfect timing and perfect fit. They reached out, they reached out maybe a month or two later, long enough that I'd forgotten about it and said, congrats, you're one of, I think four finalists. We're gonna fly you out to LA. I'd never been to LA before. Um, we're gonna put you up in a hotel and you're gonna perform at Musicians Institute. And then we're gonna pick a winner to go on to Europe for the for the world. And Amazing. I was like, awesome, <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's cool. Sounds good. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And then, and wow. And so what, what did you have? Did you, I guess you had a little while to prepare something. You had um, yeah. a bit of time. Yeah. How, yeah. So the how competition was in October. And I think I got the notice maybe in July. Yeah. And at that point, like this was the biggest platform I had ever had. I'm a very tiny indie musician, you know, so um, just playing around Philly and once in a while, popping up to New York, I did, you know, so it was, it was such a huge opportunity for me at the time that I was like, okay, well, what do I have to say? What do I have to say? This is the biggest spotlight I've ever had. And um, what do I want to convey? And I just kind of started from there and, and started talking to people, getting, getting critique, getting questions. And once I rough created the song that I wanted and had the visual components, the instruments that I wanted, I started performing in open mics around Philly, which really sucked for those open mics because it took me like 15 minutes to set up. You know? <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been to an open mic, but they want you on and off, like five minutes, get off. It's the next person's turn. Um, and just really started to feel out that song before the night of. And just like, you know, it's, it's difficult to get on a stage, play one song and get off. Like you don't have a time to settle in mm. um, and chill out. And uh, I need like three songs and then... <laughs> Then I'm started, like then I'm ready to go. Um, but I really got to feel if I cut the song here, the audience would really respond. You know, I just really worked on that audience connection and response for that song and what worked and felt so ready to go after, like I, I was playing at least three, four nights a week out and then playing it 20 times a day at home. Like wow. really, really prepared. And even looking at the video now, I think, oh man, I was, it's still so shaky like i was i was still really nervous um but prepared yeah yeah it's quite um i watched the video and it's quite um it's quite a wide-ranging amount of things that you do in that very short space of time <laughs> yeah. isn't it that's a nice way to put it but yeah <laughs> yeah I, yeah you can definitely see that there's an element of nerves to you but like uh especially by the end of it when you're just like smashing the cymbal yeah and everyone's i was like going at my crazy. third song by the end i was in it right <laughs> yeah you compressed your three songs into like three minutes um yeah oh, it's an amazing performance like oh um, thank you really it was brilliant. it was it was a highlight for me because i heard at that moment when i was where, where I, I cut everything out and i just sing for like a second in their silence I heard the audience gasp 
Like I heard an intake of breath and I was just like, dude, even if I don't win, <laughs> that was really what I was after. That was really it. So I just could go home happy, you know, like I, I had that. achieved it. Yeah. I love <laughs> that. that when like that moment. Things... Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Those small things, like they make you feel so good and you forget the bigger picture and you just like, if it's just that, then th that's amazing. Yeah. If it's just I this won. tiny thing. Absolutely. But, um, yeah. That was, I got paid. <laughs> that, that, that like <gasps> was, was my pay for sure. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it must've then opened up some new doors for you, like new avenues for your career. Yeah, it, it really did. It helped, especially with those opening uh, performance slots to have that title and um i think being in philadelphia which is not super electronic uh music scene you know <laughs> which i have a foot in and that's kind of what they assume if they see oh a weird looking girl with a loop pedal um <laughs> it just it just they gave me a chance they gave me a chance a lot of venues and festivals and stuff yeah it just allowed me to work my way up from there really? for sure and what was your what was your communication like with Boss and the people that worked at Boss? Like, was there what sort of happened? Yeah, um, so they were fantastic. It was so nice to meet people who really knew that pedal and were passionate about it, and um, could just talk shop with me. And I'd had I have to deal with sound issues not so much anymore, but especially when I was just getting started with people that just didn't understand what was happening, and they knew it inside and out, and it just was fantastic sound um and then the i think he was the like product rep at the time reached out to me to do some some demonstrations on the pedal so i i flew out to atlanta one time and um a couple like uh big music stores where they had uh online content where else did i go wisconsin atlanta maybe chicago yeah and just did some demos for for boss which was cool it was it was really fun and a nice uh excuse to be in a city you know definitely there was one video because i came across your work through one of those videos um, yeah looking that's at, crazy I was, yeah i was looking at some rc505 videos and uh yeah yes. you're demoing it on there uh, but i watched one earlier yeah you've demoed it you demoed some different loop pedals at different times and there's one really nice one where you're sort of explaining your story about about how you found the loop pedal and you know some yeah. of the things we've covered here but it's just really nice that you're not just there to sort of demo their product you're so there to like say who you are i think that's, that's yeah quite nice I, I mean i didn't really know what i was doing so i probably did it wrong you're great <laughs> really good like they want the tech been doing it for you know? years <laughs> thought that was like your job <laughs> in yeah the beginning. yeah I, I loved it and you know being a teacher i i'm pretty good at explaining something to an outsider like hearing the jargon that I'm speaking and being able to unpack it. Um, so for that, on, on that uh, realm, and I was teaching some loop pedal classes and clinics on my own. I'd get asked by like Guitar Center as a, as a music store here or Accent Music was another one. And um, they just advertise it and a whole bunch of guitarists would come in. And uh, I love pulling up somebody and seeing what they're struggling with and being able to answer a specific question. So for a while that we were we were doing that a lot and then i started thinking like wait a minute man i'm flooding my own market full of loop pedal performance performers <laughs> <laughs> maybe i should rethink this yeah yeah don't buy loop pedals they're terrible yeah, yeah, Rubbish. Yeah. slow down <laughs> this is a great practicing tool for your bedroom yeah <laughs>
Yeah, I, now I don't care. And I, I would probably do that again. I, I do miss the, the teaching element of it. And I love troubleshooting, like I love problem solving, which is probably why the loop pedal works for me. But um, back then I was trying, like, I was trying to make my living by performing. So as, as usual, I overthought it. And as I overthink everything and was like, eh, maybe I shouldn't be <laughs> teaching everybody all of my tricks. <laughs> yeah. I think that's uh no I think I think that of the people that I know in the music world the most open and sharing yes. are the most successful ones. Absolutely. It's really is that way because you end up the more you yeah it's like it comes back to you somehow giving all that information out it comes back from elsewhere. I totally um, agree. They they're never going to replace you. They're going to be themselves on whatever on whatever tip you give them. They're going to be themselves with it. Yeah, I, th I totally 100%. agree. Yeah, and they may well interpret something you say in a completely different way to the way that you're meaning it and then take that onto a new onto a new level. So, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really cool that you're doing workshops. And I'm sure there'll be a million kids and adults up for doing uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I was thinking of starting one again, actually, because or, or a lot, an online version, because mm. I have every, maybe, you know, not during pandemic, but feel like every week somebody says, oh, I have one of those in a box in my closet. Like it was too intimidating to even get started or I pulled it out and I couldn't even figure out the audio because they're, you know, they're, that's just not what they're comfortable with. Yeah. And so I've thought about just starting from ground zero and um, yeah, just teaching, teaching some basics and see, see how that is received. Can you just boil down what the features of the 505 are for someone who doesn't know what it is? Yeah. So what I think happened is um, I, actually at the, the World Loop Championship where I was, the winner took that RC300 floor model, which is meant to be stomped on, and put it on a table and was hitting it. And it, it's quite a, a hefty metal pedal you know meant to be kicked around a bit so they were hitting it pretty strong with their hands but hitting it like multiple pedals at a time they're going duh, 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 really cool stuff and i think boss very smartly thought wow there's a whole market of acapella artists or maybe rappers or um, hip-hop that would be interested in a tabletop version so what came out not long after that 300 was a lightweight plastic um, with more touch-friendly, finger-friendly buttons, as well as um, volume controls that were larger and just easier to flick, um, as well as what I love about the 505 is it had uh, different effects that you could have on the input versus the effects on the loops oh, that were nice. already recorded. So that is is fantastic, especially for that what we were talking about before, just keeping it fresh for your ear. So if you've had this meh, loop you know going on for three minutes you throw a filter on it or you throw like a bit crusher on it or um, you can change the pitch all, all kinds of all kinds of uh, effects that you can throw on a pre-existing loop while you continue to sing with say reverb or delay on your input vocals so i think that really Genius. changed the game for some people and yeah hit a totally different market of users yeah is that what you were asking absolutely yeah okay. absolutely great um uh, and it's funny that you mentioned that because the first time i saw an rc505 being used 
by a duo called Immersion, <clears throat> which is uh, Colin Newman of Wire and his wife. Um, yeah, they were using an RC505 on the table pressing buttons. And I remember right. looking at that going, isn't that meant to be on the floor? <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> no, yeah. it's not. <laughs> yeah, I have tried it on the floor. Um, it's tricky, but you can do it barefoot. <laughs> but yeah, it's meant to be on the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So yeah, you've released um, you've released a couple of albums, haven't you? Yeah, two full full length LPs and uh, one EP, and I'm working on an album for early 2022 right now. Yeah, early 2022. Oh, excellent. And I've just realised it's ten years since you were the grand prize winner. Are you going to celebrate that this year? Oh, um, you're the first person that's pointed that out to me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's next. That's in two months. Is I don't it? know what. What should we do? <laughs> I don't know. Big cake. Give me some ideas. A big cake. That's number cake. one priority. A loop a pedal cake. Loop cake. A loop yeah. pedal cake. Yeah, that's I like what that. it should be. Uh, we can you know make what? that happen. That would be amazing. If you Google, it's really fun. I do this sometimes. You can Google synth cakes, and you can see what, what synthesizers people have made of cakes. And honestly, some of them are amazing, like eight oh eight Moogs. Um, whatever you're into, even if you're into retro gaming cakes, people have made Nintendo 64 controller cake and all that sort of oh, stuff. You've refreshed the the whole cake thing for me. <laughs> the whole Thank cake you. scenario. Gotta go back and do that. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely be worth celebrating. Um, but yeah, yeah. that's got to be a thing. That's got to be a thing to celebrate. What an amazing, amazing achievement. Yeah. But yes, you're going. You're talking about your albums. Yeah. What do you want to know? <laughs> uh, I can't remember. I, I must have just jumped in halfway through you were yeah, so, talking about uh, it. <laughs> it's it's funny because I've um, been on a couple Zoom repeating meetings with artist friends to just to keep sane. And um, one of these groups has visual artists and, and songwriters, producers, and uh, some writers. And they all just complain about having to talk about their art. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't mind, but now it's in my head. Like, oh, is this, is this bad? It's been my, uh, it's been in my ear all pandemic. But yeah, um, what, what, what would be interesting to know? Um, the, well, uh, I, I, from what I've read about it, you seem to say that you one by one, your album from 2013 was you sort of trying to find your musical, uh, your musical place. Uh, yeah, please correct me if I'm completely wrong. And and that you you said that home after dark home before dark felt like your natural yeah. sort of where you wanted to yes. be. Yes. Yeah, I I think um, I mean I'm constantly making music um, as singles. I'm constantly writing and producing, and I have a very large catalog of songs now pushing two hundred. You know, not gigantic, but like pretty pretty decent, steady mm. steady working. Uh, to, to get to there. Um, so one by one was picking, selecting some of the singles, like the, the ones that um, I felt had received the best response and the ones that I I really liked at the time and just putting them all together on an album. So it's not cohesive necessarily, that one by one. And that's kind of what the title means. It was just kind of um, one-offs, one-offs. So Home Before Dark was really a, um, a mission to deliver a concept and something a little bit larger, uh, which I really loved and felt like, yeah, that was like in my utopian <laughs> world, that would be the music I'm making all the time. And that's what I really, um, not, not everything on the album, but I just really 
loved the sound that we ended up with the infusion of kind of 1940s influenced singing and a film noir and trip hop that's just also yummy i just love all that stuff so um yeah the next project i'm working on now i've been releasing again a lot of those singles because otherwise they just sit on my computer i i have them um kind of rep repped to be in film and tv so they, they make their way out there but i don't always release everything so um yeah so this next project is back to home before dark it's another concept album that is taking forever uh but i'm really i'm really just happy with the sound that's coming out i'm i want to work with a composer preferably on each track a different composer for each track so it is gonna have some lack of synchronicity i guess but uh, i'm working to make it cohesive as well so cinematic for sure and um yeah some of the similar elements to home before dark Superb. how was that are you falling asleep <laughs> no that's great no i'm absolutely <laughs> fascinated no i'm like wow I wonder what that's going to sound like. But um, yeah, if you, <laughs> if you want a mid-era remix, I would be more than happy to yeah? oblige for sure. Yeah, Absolutely, I'm going to pursue that. Absolutely. I can't I say it's going to be Billboard number one. But hey. Yeah. I inter- do you know what? It's really interesting um, uh, because I interviewed a guy called Henry Kaiser a few weeks ago who's like an experimental American guitarist. Yeah. And he told me in the interview that everyone he ever met and everyone he ever idolized, he always asked them to make music. Everyone his whole life. He's now nearly 70 and he's yeah. made over 300 albums. <laughs> and I've just now like caught this spirit of that he's got, which is just asking people like, just hey, ask. let's just make music. Like, I love it. The worst thing I can do is say no. And that's fine. Like, Absolutely. You- I love it. I think that's that's a great way to live life. And you never know. You never know what's just going to end up being magic. Exactly. You know? Exactly, yeah. That's really cool. And I love on Home After Dark, um, sorry, Home Before Dark. Oh, yeah, I've got, oh, that was a, sorry, Home After Dark is a song on Home Before Dark, isn't it? Um, they're both Home Before Dark. Are they? Yeah. Oh, I've just written it down wrong then, sorry Maybe about Maybe this next I album thought, will be After Dark. <laughs> I thought you had a track, I thought your album was called Home Before Dark and you had a track on it called home after dark and i was like that's really cool <laughs> oh, no that is super cool wrong. where were you when i was making that yeah no that's a very cool idea <laughs> but no that's not on the album <laughs> yeah sorry home before dark the sort of the title track of the album um yeah you said it was like a response to the chemical brothers um track where do i begin which like i have to say like i'm a huge chemical brothers fan oh, and i just man. love absolutely love that idea yeah you know um have you ever had a to put a song as an alarm on your phone that you love and then eventually you start to hate that song yeah um <laughs> i've ruined some songs that way but chemical chemical brothers um where do i begin uh was was my alarm which is a great alarm let me just put a plug in for that song um mm. and i never tired of it like i never it you know it's not my alarm now i didn't keep it forever but um i love that song so much it's it's takes so many risks and it's such a um it just pays off so huge at the end it's so worth the wait and i i love the vocal uh the vocalist on that and just it's a simple beth, is it beth lyrics. Orton? I think it might uh, you beth know i don't even orton. know i don't even know i, I think it's beth orton 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so it good. Could possibly be. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful song. But I, I also just love the idea of writing a response to a song. Yeah, like, I just very love rapper that of idea. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's very common in the rap world to have these respond, you know, have all these beefs and responses, and use pieces of the track to to respond to the other person, which I think is super cool. I love to bring that into the electronic world. Come on, let's go. I like it. Genius idea. That is a great idea. Yeah. It's, yeah. You're, but it's not like a diss track. You're not dissing the camera. No, 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 no. <laughs> complete honorarium. Like, oh, I, one of my favorite tracks in the world. Yeah. yeah. I love them too. Um, and I inter there's one guy that I interviewed called Andy who fixes Chemical Brothers stuff. He lives like just down the road from here. Really? And I, I, went to his, I went to his workshop one time with my stuff and I touched the Juno 106 that has a piece of sticky tape on it that says hey boy hey girl no and I'm even getting shivers just telling you that now because I was just like that's oh amazing my fucking god they had the yeah. emulator 2 he had the emulator 2 from New Order yeah, yeah. yeah. New Order's old emulator was in his <laughs> studio I was like mate this is fucking crazy I can't I can't <laughs> yeah that was just great I was like highlight of my life yeah that's amazing that that sounds like what, what a wealth of community right at your fingertips. Like LA can be a little like that, where you're just um, surrounded by some some musical greatness, you know? Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, put you well, in your yeah. place, for sure. It'll put you in your place. <laughs> can you describe <laughs> LA like I've never been there? Um, can yeah. you describe like what it what it's like? Uh, what what brought you there? Yeah. Well, okay. So I've, I've lived here for three years now. Um, and I think like most people, I'm an East Coaster. I'm from the country out of, outside of the city in uh, New York State. And I always saw LA as being very plastic. Yeah, just like flaky and, and superficial and fake, which never drew me to it. And I went, because a friend recommended it to me, I, I went to a conference out here where I met a lot of um, production music people. I met a lot of kind of like behind the scenes cameramen and music editors and um, publishers and just the behind the scenes folks of which this town is chock full and really felt like I met my people. They are organized. They are um, very friendly and altruistic, very community minded and super creative. Some of the most creative minds on the planet, I think. And I was just taken aback by that sampling of LA. And it's a huge part of the city here. Think of every production. The guy runs the trailer, the guy, the person that holds, you know, does the costumes, the person that, there's just so many support people with a creative edge. Mm. And um, I really, really vibed with it. So it's beautiful here every day. It's always the same sunshine and birds singing and cactus smiling, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which gets a little boring. I like a nice thunderstorm. You know? <laughs> I, read, I read about it. Um, but yeah, I think there's really, there's really a lovely side to LA where it's just hardworking, creative people. And I have found a tribe here that I really, really connect with. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's surprising. I, surprising. I think, yeah, from over this side of the pond, we hear about LA and, and yeah, I mean, initially you do think of maybe a bit of a superficial place, but there's just so many, that's initially, by the way, and, but, sure. but you realise there's so many amazing people living there that there is definitely something there 
going yeah. on that pulls people in. You know, there's definitely some sort of magnetic pulling in that happens very much like uh, happens in Brighton. I think um, people get a taste of it and then go, this is mm -hmm. quite nice, actually. I quite like it. Yeah, uh, maybe absolutely. From... You should come visit and check it out. I think it's a really lovely place. I would love to. Um, actually, Henry Kaiser invited me to come and make an album with him in his ranch uh, in, within the next five years. So I'm oh, thinking fantastic. that I will actually do that because yeah. when the fuck else am I going to be able to go there and, you know... I should say there there is plastic here too. Don't let me. I, I do have to say there it does exist. There's plenty of that here too. But yeah, there's a surprising amount of really great people. <laughs> Amazing. I was I was really astounded to hear you say the word flaky because I don't I didn't know that you guys used that word. Oh well, um, here it means you make a plan and then um, you you don't wait. You wait until maybe half hour before and then you have an excuse for why you don't show up is that what yeah. it means there? yeah yeah like worst <laughs> character trait ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah um there is another one that i quite like which was someone from london said to me once and i had to ask him what it meant and it meant the same thing but uh, he said melter a melter. melter yeah you just yeah. melt when it's meant to happen you just melt and you disappear yeah yeah so you're yeah, a melter yeah. <laughs> i quite like that i might put that in my pocket and use it later that's good <laughs> Last thing about LA, but we, we say there's um, there's no really hard no's. If you hear maybe, that's usually you just that means no. It's very <laughs> very positive to the point that you don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. I guess as long as you know those parameters, then, yes. then it's all yeah. good. Yeah, because I, I noticed that you you did uh, some a sync uh, thing with the Toyota. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Really yeah, thank nice you. Track. It was really exciting. And then they reused it again. Like they took this. They asked if they could use it for another round, which just meant amazing. I did nothing. I just got paid again, which was lovely. Perfect. <laughs> that does not happen that that often. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, I think a lot of people do look for sync licensing. Musicians yeah. do look for sync uh, licensing. But yeah, how did you, that come about? Did you have a brief? Like, was there a call out for it? How did that happen? I did have a brief um, for something else. So people have different, you know, different ways that they go about this. But I like to have other people pitch my songs, and if somebody wants something specific and they come directly to me, great. But I don't, I don't try to get my song to the Toyota person, like that's just a huge waste of time. So mm. um, so I had a brief come in for a driving song um, years ago, 2015 or 16. And I wrote that um, drive until I find the sun and it didn't get picked. So I said, oh, okay, well, that's fine. I'll put it in my catalog. And I submitted it to a publisher or a library um, who just reps a catalog of songs and they get the briefs and they pick from their music that's already been cleared and they know that there's not going to have any trouble on the legal end because it used somebody else's music you know so mm. they they pitched my song for a different brief for toyota and they picked it up so it was written for a brief but not the toyota brief superb wow yeah. but i put a lot of those 200 songs i um i do submit to libraries and publishers and like sync agents so that they can be repping them for ads and film and TV. 
video game placement. Do you ever yeah. think that, like, if there is a brief, like, you, you could ask them to send you the wrong one, so you do, like, <laughs> do the same thing. You know, again. that has happened more than once, where they, well, they send me a brief and they put the wrong link to a reference track, and um, there was one that went to an Irving, Irving Berlin song, you know, it was, which is very different from the pop that they were looking for. So I wrote an Irving Berlin-esque song, and of course it didn't get picked. <laughs> Uh, because it was totally the wrong style, but um, it ended up getting used later. It got bought by Universal Music. So, yeah, you know, I it's Superb. I still I still get a to make a song, and usually they go somewhere. <laughs> that is a brilliant story. That is amazing. Um, yeah, how do you? I mean, how do you get into sync? Just just I'm thinking of like younger people who are, who yeah. are like starting out, or or like yeah. How how would you suggest? Someone did explore sync music and the possibilities. Yeah, that uh, well, it depends there. where where you're starting from. But um, first of all, I would say pay attention. Pay attention to what what music you're hearing in TV and film that is in your wheelhouse. You want to stay in your wheelhouse because the people that are picking listen to music all day and all night, and they smell a fake. So don't try to be something that you're not. They will. They won't even get past seven seconds. That's like, just they true are in life. Really isn't good. It? That's yeah, true in life. Just. just be yourself. <laughs> be yourself. Everybody will be happier, <laughs> yourself included. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not to say there's not some, you know, try something to learn, but um, that's generally. Um, I would say take a class, but be careful how much you spend on that class. People ask ridiculous, like if it's over a thousand, two thousand dollars, do not take a sync class because you have very little chance of getting that back. Spend a couple hundred bucks on a, a sync class and have somebody walk you through um, what's going to completely stop you from getting synced, even if it's a great song. If you have a song co-writer that you don't have any paperwork between, they can't use it because they might get sued. And that's a big deal for them because they have bosses they have to answer to as well. Absolutely. Um, that's good advice. So, yeah, take, take a cheap sync class. <laughs> um, yeah, and then just write a ton. Write, co-write, write with other people. Make a lot of music. Keep that machine very well oiled. Because that's, and that, that really, they need a lot of instrumentals as well. So it doesn't have to be a, a song per se. It can be a three or four piece, three or four, 30 second instrumental snippet. Um, but there are books about that. Those are called cues. You can read about kind of what people are expecting for a cue and what works a C-U-E, what works in these reality shows. They, they need a ton of them. Yes. It kind of depends how you want to spend your energy. Excellent. But That's yeah, great lots advice. Of again. So I guess cues would be things like impact, dramatic moment. Exactly. Like sorrow, Tension drum. heightened sorrow, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Think of Seinfeld's, uh, have you ever seen Jerry Seinfeld's show? Um, the bass lines, Bernard, bang, bang, punky yeah, bass they... cue. <laughs> I didn't, I've not really seen much Seinfeld, but I know it's huge in America. But didn't they play that bass line every show differently? Wasn't that well, like it, a live thing? That it was did? probably like 40 or 50 little bass lines. I remember hearing um, the composer on NPR, the, the musician, and he was a pianist, but he just wrote those and then had them converted to, to bass, I believe. Um, yeah, I've watched that too. I think I've seen that. Yeah. yeah really nice those, guy. They were very, a lot of very... Uh, kind of interchangeable, you know, 10 second bass. And I'm sure they, they bought 
that person so many houses, you know, still, still buying him houses. Still. Not another house again. Oh my God. Another house. <laughs> Seinfeld house 14. Yeah. Yeah, the house that Seinfeld built. <laughs> <laughs> you push the doorbell and it goes, daring, daring, daring. It has to do that. You flush the toilet, does it as well? It just does it everywhere. The toaster, microwave. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And you also have like, you also have a, a patron account, which uh, people can support you on, don't you? Yeah, I do. Sorry, a plane is going overhead. I don't know if that's coming through. Uh, yeah, I have a Patreon account. Um, it's it's very good for me to be forced to share things because I always tend to keep my cards close. So uh, we have a little community on there that uh, we've had a virtual open mic during the pandemic and I'll post my loop pedals videos there first, or if they have loop pedal questions, I'll answer it, or I'll share a song there first if I'm releasing it, give a little backstory. Active at least at least once a month on there. Yeah. Everybody, but. I like how you're approaching it. I think yours is the first, pa- well, the, the first of the patrons that I've looked at, and, uh, you know, I'm looking at sort of synth, synth sort of synth-only sort of people, YouTube-y yeah. synth people, and I really like cool. the way that yours is like, it's one payment per song that you upload. Yeah. Yeah, I really yeah. like that arrangement. I like that arrangement and for you as a creative because because it's not like saying you'll get one every two weeks and then you'll burn right. out. It's like saying you'll pay this when you get one song. So it might be in six months, it might be in two weeks. I really like yeah. that for you as a creative artist as well as for your audience. I think that's a really nice way of it's approaching it. It's been really it. good. It's been really good for me. I always um, just wonder what people... It's my job to figure out what would be good to share, but it's always just a dark, murky <laughs> swamp of <laughs> just trying to figure out what that is. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, I think we, we all maybe put ourselves in the shoes of like trying to work out what people, other people are thinking. Right. And it's always like your approximation of your brain being in their brain, which is just like a complete yeah, waste of time. Yeah, it doesn't quite work. It's more, it's more like if I think, okay, what, what would I hope Portishead put out if I were their patron? You know, anything is the answer. Like any, anything, <laughs> yeah. I would be all over it. So kind of just relax about it. Do your Definitely. thing. Yeah. I mean, even like rough cut demos would be probably quite nice for your patrons to hear, you know, things oh, that you yeah, were like, oh, this was off the cutting room floor from 10 years ago. Or I don't know. Yeah. Just like an old recording that you did of a track that sounds awful, but there's something about it that's nice. Yeah. Those oh, things helpful. might be quite nice. I really like thinking of creative ideas to get people into stuff like because it's good stuff, not because right. we're trying to like blindfold them and lead them up exactly. the garden path. I actually exactly. genuinely like value. Yeah, being creative mm. with with the dark art of marketing. Yes. <laughs> cool. Are, are there any people that you sort of would like to shout out who've really helped you along the way? People who've like been there at some moment or maybe either yeah. supported you or you know, shown you the way? Absolutely. There's there's so many people. There is a little company in Wilmington, Delaware called Gable Music Ventures. They put on the Ladybug Music Festival, which is now the largest women-fronted and female-identifying-fronted um, festival in the world. Wow. When's that and on? They, that is usually in July. You know, it's been a, a rough couple of years, but it's usually mid-July, around the 17th. And awesome um, it's a fantastic, just a phenomenal 
festival. I think they had 100 acts, the last live one, which was in 2019. Um, and then they had just a really stellar lineup for their virtual last year. Um, Katie Tunstall was on that. A couple other heroes I have to look up. But they're just it was so diverse and so uh, just soulful and lovely. I really I'm proud of them. And they have given me every opportunity possible. They I kind of have an extended invitation to perform at that festival. And it's just they've been so encouraging and supportive. Yeah. So definitely Gable Music Ventures. Um, got a shout out to my husband, Kusha, who's always been supportive and um, just helped me figure out this crazy, never, <laughs> never easy industry, you know, who else? It's a really interesting name, Kusha. Kusha. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a uh, Persian. Wow. Uh, so our, our last name, Sheik, is actually short for quite a bit longer. Right? <laughs> okay. um, yeah. And it means to try. He's a, it's like a, somebody who tries really hard, which fits really? him very well. Kusha. Yeah. And you know what? I, I just think I would probably, I would probably shout out to women producers because I didn't know it was even possible until I saw somebody else doing it that, oh, that's something I could do. I just spent my whole career in, in studios with um, kind of men running the show. And I was sitting back on the couch and would have to really speak up if I disagreed with something, you know, but it was never like, oh, you want to come learn how to comp vocals? Like, oh, you want to, you want to learn about this gear? So I think when it was first modeled for me and I saw somebody that looked like me doing it, it was the first time it went off in my head, oh, that I could, I could produce music too. I could mix music. Mm. So yeah, I think it's important. Definitely. People that look all different kind of ways doing this. Yeah. There's a girl I interviewed called Emma about five or six episodes ago, and she set up a thing in London called Producer Girls. So yeah, she set up these really, really um, successful workshops all over in Bristol, in Brighton, in Glasgow, in Manchester. I mean, I'm sure she could go across the road with it. Um, but yeah, great idea, Love you it. know, just a very supportive, creative learning environment for girls and people who identified as girls. Um, yeah, to learn how to produce. And she got one of her tracks was on a Gucci advert. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Like, That's great. Nuts. Really nuts. <laughs> So yeah, I'm really interested in that ladybug, and I wonder whether, yeah, I wonder whether we have something similar here in the UK. I'm not sure. Oh, I'd love to know about it. I'd love yeah. to know about it. And I just want to say that I really like on your Patreon the way your different levels are: Dido, Pharrell, and James Brown. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thanks. I need to revisit that, but yeah, try yeah. to I try to do everything with a touch of creativity. So it takes forever, but it's fun. It's really funny. I like that. I like that. I think it's great. It, like immediately you just like, yeah, I like this. It's such a cool oh, I'm idea. I'm glad you appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll just do a couple more questions to wrap up if that's okay. Sure. It's been really fun to chat to you though. I could probably do another hour and a half, to be honest, but just... <laughs> You're in the, the right job. You're in the right job. Yeah. You know, I've always just thought I'm terrible at this sort of thing. And I've totally just done this through lockdown and it's kept me sane, just like talking yeah. to people. Um, no, I listened to some um, prepping and I thought they were fantastic. Oh, really engaging. You. And you're obviously passionate about it, which goes a long way, you know? 
Thanks. Yeah, I am. Like, Fat Boy Slim pointed that out to me. He was like, the reason I said yes is because I could tell that you were like passionate about it. Um, yeah. I, do, I feel wow. really incompetent and I don't feel like I'm good at this at all. I don't feel like my voice is like really worth listening to. However, somehow <laughs> people are still agreeing to speak to me. So I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm going to keep doing this as long as people keep wanting to do it. I hope you do. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, it's been great. Really, really, really fun to speak to you as well. Um, yeah, so just a couple couple more bits, I suppose. So you have Great. you've done two releases fairly recently, haven't you? Free? Yeah, I this I've year? been releasing I think I might have missed one month, but since May I've released one per month. Um just to kind of get used to sharing again and as I'm gearing up to release a a concept album, like we were talking about. Cool. Getting all that going again. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great idea. I think that's a really cool idea. Um It's been I've, good. I forgot to ask you what the concept was behind both of your Home Before Dark and your new one. You, yeah. Um, well, just really quickly, Home Before Dark was it was written after I had like a slew of funerals in my family and friends. Oh, like I'm just, you know, that. I don't know if you ever had a year like that where you had like eight, nine funerals, um, but it oh, was devastating. Tough. And it just really had me thinking about deep things, you know, um, and really valuing relationships but also really depressed (laughs) so that music was was uh, just working out all of that and just hoping like I could figure it out in this lifetime what what I want to do with it you know that's kind of what home before dark means just counting your days and using them using them well and um, being grateful for what you have before it's gone so the next album is uh, called sibling and it's just been a really deep dive for me in um, family relationships and um, especially in this last couple years where it's been so divisive here politically and so split and coming from a rural, very conservative area and living in Los Angeles, seeing a great divide and very little meaningful, respectful conversation. Just looking at my family and kind of drawing those parallels and seeing, all right, is it, is it possible to find a path of, of mutual respect and commitment to each other amidst all this important, (laughs) important uh, disagreements Mm. that we have with each other. So yeah, that's kind of what this has been conceptually. And it's been, it's been so great. It's really carried me through this pandemic to be writing about that and exploring it and, trying to trying to respect the people in my life who have very difficult opinions to respect it's, it's if i'm completely honest yeah trying to find a common ground mm. with, with people i love you know yeah. definitely i th- yeah i think yeah that's it's been a running theme of this last like year and a half or two hasn't sure. it like encounters with those people who are polar opposite uh, opinions and um yeah yeah, I guess we're all entitled to have our own opinion. We've all got our own opinion for some reason. You know, things that yeah. happened in our past have developed this this way of thinking. And yeah, I, I tend to just, you know, allow people to think what they want to think and not try to influence people too much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it is tough. It is tough that, that yeah, yeah. you know, when you are faced with someone who is, uh, yeah, on the opposite end of the scale to where you are, um, it's tough to engage. I feel like it's it's an easy out to cancel somebody, as we say here, 
Um, and, and to me, you know, it has to be really, really pretty extreme for me to cancel somebody. Like I, I, will, I will work for that relationship, uh, maybe to my detriment. <laughs> mm. But, um, you know, I, I believe that it's valuable. And yeah, that's why the word sibling is so helpful to me. Because if I think of somebody who, you know, voted for a president that I disagree with as a sibling, it helps me to have a, a deeper, I will try harder to keep relationship with that person to th if I'm thinking about them in that way. So just, yeah, thinking, thinking about those thoughts. <laughs> awesome idea. Yeah, we're all here. We're all like one family, one big family really on a rock. And yeah, um, right. yeah it's, it, it is really quite startling how much we fight given that there's no other well for most of us there's no other alternative yeah. to this planet <laughs> right what is the alternative right yeah that's a really admirable way of looking at things that's amazing thank you i'm trying it's uh it's you know it's a half-baked cake <laughs> it's a half-baked loop pedal cake <laughs> it is yeah just throw that loop pedal in the oven awesome what could go wrong well, I'm, it's about to get very awkward because uh, hey, we're going to wrap right. up <laughs> to get ready. <laughs> Thanks for the warning. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's been amazing to speak to you, Angela. I've had an absolutely great time talking to you. Likewise. Um, thank you. Really yeah. honored to be here. Oh, thank you. Next yeah, to Fatboy Slim. I mean, that's that's uh, come on. Well, thank you. It's really cool <laughs> to have a have you on and um i think you're super talented i've loved everything i've seen of yours and thank you. um, i, thank I you. personally look forward to your new album and um yeah seeing more material I, re from you. I really look forward to your remix so yeah thank you i will do a disgusting what is it stank <laughs> remix is that what you said yeah <laughs> put some stank on that remix yeah. that'd, be, that'd be amazing awesome well thanks very much angela pleasure Oh, it was so good to speak to Angela. She's a lovely person, and uh, I love that she approaches it with so many different instruments, uh, so many weird and wonderful instruments to entice her audience, and I think that's a great way of performing and making it a performative thing. Um, yeah, she's really talented, so go and check out her music and listen to her previous album, and get hyped for her new album coming out. And uh, don't get quite so hyped for the stanky video remix, which will be coming along as well. Great, so that's it for another episode. Um, next time we've got a man who's instrumental in um, video game music, um, who's worked with a massive British uh, company um, throughout its heyday in the PlayStation era. Uh, he made uh, music software, uh, which was very popular, as well as some amazing music. That's on next week's show. Uh, if you can support the podcast, it's really appreciated. Uh, you can support by PayPal or by Ko-fi. Uh, you can like and share as well. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Midiara, and I'll see you again soon.